0: Do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can, and get with me to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18, we're doing a series right now, we're looking at the life of Abraham, and he was a man who walked by faith when he was waiting for God to deliver on some promises that God made. And so we're learning from him, uh, kind of asking the question, what does it look like to walk by faith when things are not happening as quickly as we, we hope, or in the way that we hope? And uh, so Abraham has been uh, a worthy companion in our journey through this uh, phase of the pandemic. So let's read Genesis chapter 18. We're gonna do verses one to 15. Uh, We'll read the passage, then we'll pray, and we will get to work. Genesis 18, starting in verse one, reads like this. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you've come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent To Sarah, quick, he said, get three seeds of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice, tender calf and gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where's your wife, Sarah, they asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, am I worn out and my Lord, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And like Isaiah 55 reminds us, just as you send out rain and snow and it accomplishes what you want it to do, so you send forth your word, and it accomplishes your purposes. And so right now, Lord, we're, we're asking that you would do what you want to do with our time together. With our Bibles open and our hearts open, we're asking that you would speak by your Spirit through your word to us, and that you would give us words of life, things that help us, things that we, that we need, things that maybe we don't even perceive in this moment. Lord, would you please minister to each of us? and help us to walk by faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, in the episode we have in front of us, we see kind of two different parts of it. There's the Lord's presence, which is communicated in verses one to eight, and then the Lord's power on display in verses nine to 15. So the Lord's presence really is this reality that God is showing up in the life of Abraham. He is arriving, and that's a significant reality. Now, it's a little bit confusing because if you're reading the story, you notice that God is arriving in an in a interesting form. Three people show up. But then in verse 15, it calls these three people and the, those people speaking to Abraham. It just says, this is the Lord. So I don't really know what's going on here. I don't know how to wrap my head or my heart around this. But it is God showing up in this fashion. God is showing up to Abraham. So look at verses one and two. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looks up and he sees three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them. And he bowed low to the ground. He recognizes there is something different about these people. These are no ordinary people. So he worships. He bows down. It's a posture of humility. It's a posture of recognition. It's saying, there is something about these three individuals that are worthy of my respect. So the Lord appears to Abraham. Abraham then takes the opportunity to practice some hospitality. Look at verses three to five. He says, Abraham said, If I've found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you've come to your servant, very well, they answer, do as you say. He practices hospitality, but I want you to notice something. One of the reasons why he is practicing hospitality in this moment is he is attempting to detain them. Meaning he knows there's something about this interaction that is significant And he doesn't want it to go away. So if you want to, mentally underline these different things. In verse 1, it tells us the Lord appears. God shows up. The Lord appears. But then look at how Abraham responds. He says, do not pass by your servant. I see you. I acknowledge you. I worship you. Please do not get beyond me. Don't just pass me by. He's detaining them. And then he offers them hospitality. And he says it like this toward the end. He says, now that you have come to your servant. So the the narrator is telling us, the narrator is telling us that God shows up and Abraham recognizes that it is the Lord and he wants him nearby. I don't just want you to depart from me. I don't just want you to cruise on from here. I want to spend time with you. And in fact, God wants that too. The Lord's presence is on display, and so Abraham rightly perceives that, and he begins to offer this hospitality. He says, let me get something for you so that you can stay here a while. Let me get you stuff for, to wash your feet, stuff to feed you. Let me do what I can to take care of you. And this is a fascinating reality, because what Abraham is doing here gets principalized in the New Testament. He's practicing hospitality with these people, and by the New Testament, the, the authors in the New Testament look at the Genesis 18 event, and they say, this is something that we all ought to be doing. So we'll put it up on the screens. In Hebrews 13, the writer to the Hebrews puts it like this. He's telling a group of Christians, here's what you need to be working on. And he's kind of bullet-pointing a bunch of different things, and this pops in there. And he says, "'Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, "'for by so doing, "'some people have shown hospitality to angels "'without knowing it.'" This is an allusion to that Genesis 18 event, and it's saying, practice hospitality because here's what you might be doing. You might be interacting with God. This ordinary event of sharing a meal Is that it mediates the presence of God in some ways. I mean, if I'm reading this right, it feels like there's a potential for the ordinariness of a a mealtime to be an event where God shows up. So, what should we do then if that's the case? We need to pay attention. We need to practice hospitality. We need to go through life with our eyes wide open. Looking at other people, we're, we're dealing with strangers and, and we're interacting with them, and we need to be able to say, Look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to practice hospitality because by so doing, I might be entertaining angels. The presence of God might show up in my life in this mundane moment where I'm looking at somebody and I'm saying, Look, I'm, I, I care about you. See, we're all cruising through life, and usually we're distracted and we're busy and we're not really aware, or we're not noticing. But God is encouraging us, pay attention. Because you might might interact with God in those ordinary moments. So, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to practice hospitality? I think in the days ahead, this is the way forward. That we begin to recognize the significance of things like the mealtime. And opening of our tables and spending time with people. And showing hospitality, going above and beyond to do what we can to bless people. And I do think that in those experiences, God is going to show up in profound ways. His presence is there on display as Abraham entertains the angels of the Lord. They have a meal together. Look at uh, verses six and following. He rushes into Sarah. He says, hurry, get the seeds of uh, flour and bake bread. And then verse seven, he ran to the herd. He selected a choice tender calf, gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought out some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. He, there's a meal that's going on. And Abraham, I think, rightly blesses them with the best. He's doing what he can with what he has to provide for them. And I think all of that is worthy of our consideration that when we practice hospitality, we need to go above and beyond. We need to think about you know, how, how can we get the best meal in front of our guests so that they're experiencing something of the blessing of God. And in those moments, I do believe that God shows up. But here's something that I notice, and uh, I, I wish it wasn't so, and maybe I'm misreading it, but I do want to point out what, what feels to me like a missed opportunity. So Abraham prepares a meal for his visitors He sets it before them, but then if you look at the end of verse 8, it says, while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. And here's what I'm feeling as I'm looking at it this week. I'm feeling like this was a missed opportunity for Abraham, because not only does God want to reveal his presence to us, he actually wants to invite us into that fellowship with him. Now, it's not here in the text, so I'm trying to be careful here not to impose my ideas on the Bible itself, but it is clear in other places what God wants to do with us as he wants to share a meal. He doesn't just want us to serve him and then stand back and watch. He actually invites us into that experience of being with him around the table. And I'll show it to you in other places just so you know my ideas aren't my own. In Exodus chapter 24... Later on, Abraham's descendants, the people of God, the Israelites, are camping and marching around the desert wilderness, and their leader Moses gets to go up on this beautiful mountain and interact with God face to face. And it's a beautiful, yet terrifying experience. But then in in, uh, Exodus 24, here's what God does. He says, Moses, I want you to come up again. This time I want you to bring Aaron and his sons and 70 elders and they go up on the mountaintop, and it's crazy because they share a meal with God. Exodus 24 verse 11 says they saw God, and they ate and drank. And it's a picture of what God is doing. He's inviting people into a relationship with him, and he's actually sharing a meal with them. He, he doesn't just want us to experience his presence remotely or from a distance and just kind of observing, but he really wants to gather us together and share in that beautiful experience of sitting across the table from him. That's what G- you could describe the ministry of Jesus in that way. In fact, many people do. They say the son of God, the son of man came eating and drinking. People look at his ministry and they say, this is what the dude was about. He loved sharing meals with people. And in fact, I'm not sure, I've heard it so many times from different people, I don't know who to give credit to, but it has been noted that if you read the the gospel accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, every, every event in the gospels has a reference point to a meal. So people say it like this, Jesus is either coming from a meal, going to a meal, or at a meal. So he just loved eating. He was with people, eating with people. So so you begin to get the sense then that this is a big deal, that God wants to show us his presence, and he wants us to be able to share in that presence together with him around the table. So Jesus put it like this when he had that last Passover supper with his disciples. He said it like this in Luke 22, verses 15 and 16. He said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now, there's a lot that could be said about these two verses here, but we can at least say this. It sounds like he's intending to eat again with his friends. That in the kingdom, he intends to eat with his friends. Do you see what's happening here? Abraham is giving us this picture that God's presence shows up and God is sharing a meal and God wants us to join in that meal. So the question that we might ask then is, why does the Lord visit in this way? Why does the Lord show up in this way? And it becomes very clear in the passage itself in Genesis chapter 18, the reason why God wants his presence to be known is because he wants to to share with his followers. He wants to let them know what he's up to. So they're having a meal, but a part of the reason for the meal is so that they can communicate, here's what you can expect. Next year, you guys are going to have a child. One of the reasons why it feels to me like God is there on the scene is because he wants Abraham and Sarah to know his intentions. You're going to have a child. Now, it becomes even more clear as you keep marching through the rest of chapter 18. I'll just point at it briefly. But in verse 17 of chapter 18, it says this. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. God is there communicating to his followers. God wants you to know what he's doing. God is not trying to hide himself from you. He's not trying to keep you out of the loop. God mediates his presence to us, and a part of it is so that we might know him and know what he intends to do. And he explains it very clearly and I'll just. These are actually some of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I'm surprised that I didn't just camp out here for the morning. But, but in uh, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 18, God says this beautiful thing. He says, "Abraham will become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on the earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him." So that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he promised to him. Here's see, God says, Should I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? No. Let me just make it abundantly clear. I have chosen Abraham for this reason ethics and missions. It's really crazy, but it helps us to understand who we are as the people of God. What are we who are we and what are we supposed to be doing? We are supposed to be communicating the blessings of God to the watching world, and we're to do that by being engaged in the mission of God and practicing ethics, living in a way that is beautiful, practicing righteousness and performing justice. That's who we are, and it helps people then to come to know God. So God shows up, and he gives us his presence because he wants us to know him, and he wants us to know what he's doing in this world. So as we wrap up this first section, I want you to think through this. The Lord might be closer than you think in this season. The Lord might be closer than you think, and the Lord probably wants to reveal himself to you. But we need to be a people who are eyes wide open, alert and aware, paying attention to people, and realizing that God could show up in the ordinary stuff of sharing meals. Well, then we see the Lord's power on display in verses 9 to 15. The Lord's power is on display, and it shows up with his omniscience, his ability to know all things, and it shows up in his omnipotence, his ability to perform all things. He's both all-knowing and all-powerful, and we see it here in the text. He knows Sarah's name. He knows your name. Look at this in verse 9. It says, where is your wife Sarah? they, the company of the Lord, they asked Abraham, where is your wife, Sarah? Now, this is crazy because they're calling her by her new name. Um, Joanne and Doug Spradlin gave me a copy of uh, the Chosen uh, series, the first series, and Ash and I have been watching. I'll be the first to say I'm not a huge fan of Christian media in general because a lot of times it's just poorly done. But The Chosen is a beautifully told story. And um, there's an episode where Mary Magdalene, a demon-possessed woman, tormented by the demons, uh, in, in that episode, and I hope I'm not spoiling it for anybody, her, her her name is Lilith. And everyone knows her by Lilith. But then when the Lord shows up, when Jesus shows up, he calls her by her name. And it's it's a really touching moment because that's what God does for us. He's all-knowing and he knows who you are and not just what people call you, but he knows your potential. He knows who you are at that level of identity where he sees the redeemed version of you and he speaks that over you. The Lord is all-knowing. He looks at you and he knows what he's doing with you. He looks at you at the deepest part of who you are, and he's able to say, I know you. The Lord knows you. He knows your name. He knows your future. Look at verse 10. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. God here is showing that he knows what is going to happen. And while they might not understand it or perceive it or even believe it, He's saying, I know what the future holds. Next year at this time, you're going to have a baby boy. You're going to have a child. He knows your future. You might be going through a moment right now where you're just unclear of what the future holds. But God knows the future. He knows what he's doing with you. He has good intentions for you. And he knows what that is. He's all-knowing. So we, we could feel like, like Abraham and Sarah, and we could feel like the, the delay of God's promises. We don't like the timeline. We don't like you know, the, how things are unfolding. We, we don't understand when any of this stuff is going to happen. But we need to remind ourselves, God knows. He knows how it's going to unfold, and, and his plan is good, and he is good, and so we can trust him. He knows the future. He knows our thoughts and our doubts. Look at verses 10 through 13. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? God knows, your inner thoughts. She thought this, and he knew it. She thought this, and the Lord knew what was going on inside of her. He knows your, your thoughts, and he knows your doubts. He knows what you're thinking. So you, you can't hide that interior, you know, the interior of yourself from God, because he knows what's going on inside of you. He knows what you're feeling right now, so it's okay to be real about it because God knows that, and you don't have to try to hide it or pretend. God knows what's going on inside of you, and he knows your doubts. You can look at the circumstances and go, I just have no clue how this could ever work. It doesn't look like it works to me. I can't explain it. In fact, naturally speaking, it doesn't make sense. I'm past childbearing age, and God keeps saying, I'm gonna have a child. Well, you know, postmenopausal reality, I don't think that works and Abraham's 100 years old, and I just don't understand. This doesn't make sense. And God says, I know how you feel. I know what you think. I understand your doubts, and I'm not dissuaded by them. I'm not put off by your concerns. I'm not saying, good grief, listen to me. I'm the Lord. I keep telling you this stuff. If you can't believe me, let me go find someone else. No, he understands your thoughts and your doubts, and he is determined to still work with you. He is not dissuaded by her thoughts. He is all-knowing. He's also all-powerful. So verse 14 reminds us nothing is too hard for him. Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? He says, I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. He's saying, look, you might not understand how this could unfold, but I understand full well I can do this nothing is too hard for me. You might see this as an impossibility, but nothing is impossible for me. So the Lord is all-powerful, and he gets the last laugh. In verse 15, Sarah was afraid. He said, why did she laugh? Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, "I, I didn't laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. She laughs because she thinks this is insane. Me at this old age and my husband at his old age having a child, that just doesn't doesn't work. Abraham, remember, when he found out the news, he fell down and he laughed. Like, this is just too, too much, God. You're just making these audacious claims, God. They're both laughing, and then God says, I'll have the last laugh. You will have a child, and listen, we're gonna name him Isaac, which means laughter. Nothing is too hard for me. I'm not put off by your doubts, and I'm not incapable of making good on my promises. Nothing is too hard for me. So God is saying over and over again through our text here today, I can do it. You you might have your doubts. You might have your hesitations. You you might have your concerns. You might think that it's just not going to work, but God is saying, look, nothing is too hard for me. And here's what's really incredible. This story actually points us to the biggest story that's ever told, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, what's what's beautiful about the narrative of Abraham and Sarah having a baby boy named Isaac is that it's a precursor for God's greater work of having his son. See, sometimes we get so caught up in our little moment that we think, man, the best thing that could ever happen is if God would show up for me. And if he'd give me what I want and what I'm expecting. But the greatest thing about Abraham is what happens many, many centuries later. In the sending of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And the thing that God is going to do through that promised child. So later on in the Bible, God announces another son. Here he's announcing the arrival of Isaac. Later on, he announces the arrival of Jesus, the Lord of glory. Now, when Mary hears this news in Luke chapter one, that she's going to have a child, she has a hard time believing it. She's thinking to herself, okay, I'm a virgin and I don't understand how this is going to work, and the angel in that moment says to her, you can believe me. Elizabeth, who was barren and beyond beyond childbearing age, is now into her sixth month of pregnancy. You see, the angel is saying something very similar to what the Lord says to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 18. Centuries later, the angel is saying, look, you can trust me, and he uses almost the same phrase, nothing is too difficult for me. You see, God is saying the best thing that he's doing in this world isn't always just meeting your needs or your expectations. The best thing that God is doing in this world is his saving work through his son, Jesus Christ. The good news of the gospel is that God sent his son to undo the effects of sin. And is there anything that we need more than that right now? I mean, I look at our world and my heart is broken. I look at people uh, and their desire to pursue things that they feel so passionate about but doing it in a way that's lacking in humanity, to look at other people and to speak poorly of them. And I think to myself, the greatest thing that I need in this world right now isn't just things going my way. I need the world fixed. I look at the governing systems and structures, and I look at how things are being handled and how people are reacting to it, and I look at the brokenness there, and I think the greatest thing that we need in this world is for God to fix this broken world. I look at human health and I look at the fragility of our experience and the ability for an invisible virus to wreak so much havoc. And then I think about other things like cancer. And I think, man, we are so vulnerable and fragile and the greatest thing that I need in the world is not for everything to just go my way. The greatest thing that I need in the world is for God to fix what is broken. The world is broken. It is reeling because of sin and its effects. And what we need is not just for the world to lean in our direction and give us what we want. What we need is for the Lord himself to show up with his powerful presence and make all things right again. And that's what God is saying here to us. He's saying, look, my presence is available to you. I will meet with you, and I want to be together with you. I will share a meal with you. You can be mine, and I can be yours. And I want you to know me, and I want you to know my intention and my ways. I want you to share that fellowship with me. But I also want you to know I am very powerful, and I am coming to make all things new. And so let's wait patiently with faith in that God, and let's worship him in the meantime. So let's pray. Lord, we admit that sometimes we look at the circumstances that we're facing, and we we can't see a way forward. But nothing is too difficult for you. You are all-knowing, and you are all-powerful. And so, we entrust our lives to you. We thank you for the announcement, not only of the Son of Laughter, but of the Son of Man. We thank you for King Jesus and what he's doing, that he is going to make all things right again. So we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. But in the meantime, God, as we wait for the fulfillment of all those promises to come true in him, we want to live by faith in the Son of God. Help us to be your people, living with your mission in mind, and with a desire to practice righteousness and perform justice in a broken world. Help us to live beautifully in a way that draws people to you. Help us to do that for your glory. Amen.